Welcome to the latest episode of The Federalist Files. On today's show, a piece of legislation that will lead to one-party control, adverse effects from a $15 minimum wage hike, the Chinese's continued war on religion, and finally, Steven Crowder sues Facebook. Increases the total vaccine order in the United States by 50%, from 400 million order to 600 million. This is enough vaccine to fully vaccinate 300 Americans by end of the summer, the beginning of the fall. But we want to make look. That's I want to repeat. It'll be enough to fully vaccinate 300 Americans to beat this. So that's how the current administration is going so far. Uh- it seems like a lot of incoherent babbling from Biden. There's been some videos out. I don't really like to get into it much because there's a lot of semantic stuff. But just so liberals know, you guys voted for a guy that's that's asking people as he's signing his executive orders, what am I signing here? And then he's having issues shutting his pen or uh, closing and opening it. And then there's that alleged video where he walks past the Marine and he says salute the Marine instead of actually physically saluting the Marine. There's a lot of really weird stuff going on right now, and uh, so that that's Biden. He's talking about if they get six, and and he he doubles down on the number three hundred. So he's saying we're looking to manufacture six hundred million vaccinations, and as everyone knows, with the exception of the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, which is now only a single dose, and apparently it's very effective against these new strains. I don't really know much. Um, I don't sit here and pedal for pharmaceutical industries, but they have the old school method where you shoot in an older, um, a more, a weaker version of the virus. And that's supposed to build up your immune system that way. Whereas Pfizer, Moderna, and there was one other company. I don't really, I can't recall it right now. They have a setup where it's an MRNA vaccine. Uh, so he's talking, Hey, if we ramp it up to 600 million vaccines, we will be able to vaccinate 300 million people because each person needs two but he doesn't say 300 million he says 300 people and then you're thinking okay well he just made a mistake and then he continues talking and then he actually doubles down again and says he says 300 people again so there's a lot of incoherence going on right now and that that's one thing from the administration and then there we have we also have Fauci who just walked back his most recent statement him telling everybody oh you should wear two masks and then I think it was one of Biden's uh I want to say health Someone that's in his cabinet that has to do with health and is a doctor as well came out and actually contradicted Fauci's story. And he said two masks can have some issues because you have to breathe harder into the masks to be able to breathe. And then that may loosen up the um, the knitting, I guess, or stretch that out so more aerosols would actually get into the air if you had two masks on. So then here's a video of Fauci uh, walking it back. There are many people who feel... You know, if you really want to have an extra little uh, bit of protection, maybe I should put two masks on. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's no data that indicates that that is going to make a difference. And that's the reason why the CDC has not changed the recommendation. As he has done many times, he contradicts himself in the very beginning of this entire thing. Last year, he was saying that we should not be wearing masks to begin with. So there you go. There's, There's a lot of inconsistencies going on with the current administration. Uh, in terms of a lot of the things that they have themselves, they ran on as part of the 
as part of the, I guess, the, the modus of operandi, the method of operation. Oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And it's all these proposals that he had during his, um, during his campaign. And now it seems like they're walking back a lot of the campaign promises through, through executive orders or through proposed legislation or people that are in his cabinet are talking about what they're going to do now in this new administration. And it is, uh, but, but here's the thing is it's very concerning. The first thing is, but second, we see a cognitive dis dissonance from the left. They really seem to, uh, on consensus or, or, or rather, yeah, on consensus, they just do not care that any of this is being done. We don't care about pipeline jobs being taken away. The very simple term of just let them the let them eat cake administration, where oh well, those people that are doing those jobs that pay a hundred thousand dollars a year, they'll just go manufacture solar panels and then they'll act like it's a new up and coming, new up and coming uh type of type of economy it has its own like gig economy uh solar panels whereas it's actually incorrect it's been it has been uh artificially artificially pushed by the government the government has been subsidizing a lot of this work if it weren't for government subsidies then it would not be successful there would be nowhere near as many uh, solar panel manufacturing jobs and i also don't even know how uh how authentic or how valid that statement actually is of saying that that's the jobs. Apparently, I think John Kerry said it. Those are the jobs that are increasing the most recently is, is the solar panel manufacturing business, clean energies, the most up and coming new business. They're getting the most jobs. There's biggest growth there. All the growth, it is all superficial growth because it is being subsidized by the government. So the taxpayer is just paying for these jobs. It's it's like having, it's like saying, and, th and this is actually what they're pushing right now, which is hilarious. They're saying, oh, okay, th that's all private industry jobs. Oh, that's okay. We'll just, we'll just get them all in the public role and they'll all just come off of our tax dollars and we'll pay them that way. They'll get new jobs off the taxpayer's dollar. That's, that's pretty much what they're all saying. And that does not add any value to the economy. Once again, public, public jobs do not add value to the economy. It does not increase uh, GDP. It's not like they're doing something for us. It does not add any type of value to the economy. Once again, uh, these public sector jobs. And anyone that, that lives in Jersey with your high property taxes, you know what I'm talking about. So first thing that I wanted to go over today, I have this new proposed legislation. It is called House Resolution 1. It's mostly related to voting laws and the way in which gerrymandering takes place, but they want to federalize all of this. So whoever has the federal power, essentially, the House of Reps and, and the Senate, whoever holds the Congress and the presidency would really have full jurisdiction over the entire country as it relates to voting laws as well as redistricting which is actually a very very slippery slope but it is a it is a guarantee for a one-party rule whichever party is now in power is the party that will be in power forever that's that's essentially what this is made for this uh, house resolution and i have an epic times piece on it and then i also have a real clear politics piece on it that gives it much more clarity but just from the epic times piece it's written by mark tapscott now, this is all the proposals that would come from House Resolution 1. I read into it a little bit. Uh, it's about, I think, 30 pages long. They have the link included in this in this article here. 
And as always, all the articles will be in the description. I'll have it under a tab called like the show notes. That's where I'll have everything, including the the very end of the show. I'll go through a couple quick articles just to try to uh, jog everyone's memory, make them understand certain things that are going on but aren't huge news stories. Just some things to keep an eye out on. And I will show you in this show that I'm going to have one topic. I'm trying to think of what it is now, but it was something that I referred to in a couple podcasts ago i said oh watch out for that see what happens and now look here it is in the mainstream news even a bigger story and i'll explain it when it gets there i just i'm trying to jog my memory here so first off this would ensure this hr1 nationwide online voter registration with minimal verification requirements nationwide same day registration nationwide uh, automatic voter registration unless an individual speci- specifically requests not to be registered. Nationwide legalization of ballot harvesting. Uh, nationwide registration of 16 to 17 year olds. Nationwide uh, availability of mail-in ballots with minimal screening qualifications. Nationwide restoration of felon voting rights. Placing redistricting process under supervision of congressionally mandated independent commissions. Restructuring Federal Election Commission from current bipartisan requirements to a majority party control. Uh, permitting members of Congress to draw salary from campaign funds in addition to official compensation. That one in and of itself is huge. That's, that's, that is you are going to be taking whatever campaign funds that you have. You're going to take it and just put it in your pocket, essentially. So fine. And, and this is something that, that's done, but usually it's laundered through some sort of illicit uh, business, usually. But this is now right in the open. And then findings to support uh, statehood for District of Columbia, D.C., and Puerto Rico. So... Some of the ones I really want to go over. So 16, 17-year-olds now can vote, according to this. Nationwide, and and this is all to get more Democrat voters, because they know young people generally vote more liberal. Nationwide legalization of ballot harvesting. Ballot harvesting, you go to people's house, you collect the ballots, and then you go drop them off at a location. There's only certain states that allow this to happen, because there could be manipulation involved in this. Now, this video I have myself, now just even coming out with all of these statements, I'm probably going to get it taken down, and I probably will get my second strike from YouTube, just thinking about this right now, because I just got another video taken down retroactively. That was from, it was the day of the riots at the Capitol building, and then literally that same day i ended up getting one of my videos taken down and they told me that was my first strike so that one was retroactive at that point technically so they really could not give me a second strike but now this one knowing that i already have the first strike and i'm continuing with this i probably will be getting a second strike from the from just reporting this alone in hr1 it is a legitimate document like i said it'll be in the show notes there's a link in the piece so you can see it Um, But yeah, this will probably get me my second strike, just mentioning and talking about this. So nationwide online voter registration. Then I also read into, you could actually register the day of too, and only specific states do this. Uh, Now, the restoring of felon voting rights, and then also they were going to count the felons as actual voters to get more people in the districts as well. So some cities that have a high felony count, those people will be counted into the redistricting to get them more House of Rep members. That's the point. All of this is just for Democrat rule. This has nothing to do with what they think is constitutionally fair. Like I said, if you can now recognize somebody as an adult at 16, 17 years old to uh, to vote, then you should let them be drinking at that age at this point. I mean, it just, just doesn't really make any sense. And do you really want 16 to 17? Can you think of when you were 16 or 17 years old, did you have any clue what politics were? 
I didn't know. I didn't know until I probably graduated college uh, when I was 22 years old. It's probably probably when I started to actually look into what politics was. So what else they have? Automatic uh, voter registration. This one's really scary unless an individual specifically requests not to be registered. So just automatic opt-in to the system. And then that can easily be manipulated because if someone doesn't vote, then they can try to somehow uh, structure it or figure it out so they could send out votes for people that have never even voted before or aren't voting. And this is the most, these, these two are probably the most important ones. The placing redistricting process under supervision of congressional mandated independent commissions. So these are going to be people that are in Congress that select the mandated independent commissions. And that is just not of the Republican character. That is not of the Republic. That is not a constitutional principle. There's a reason that we elect representatives. It's not so then they can pass off the power to a bureaucrat to make decisions for the entire country. And to begin with, that's something that's supposed to be the the uh, redistricting process is something that's supposed to be of the state legislative power of the state governor power. It, it's supposed to be something that is prescribed specifically to the states, and that's all written into the Constitution. Anything having to do with uh with voting or running elections that's supposed to be prescribed to the state now what we're seeing is we're seeing a federal overhaul of our voting voting system so that it can be in line in lockstep with the democrat party because that's the party right now that's in power and it's funny because because the republicans had power for about two years i'm just sitting there defending republicans but they didn't even put anything there was no proposal even close to this that they wanted um so, and then the other one was restructuring Federal Election Commission from current bipartisan requirement to major party control. So they would have this Federal Election Commission would be the majority party would control it, as in the Democrat Party would control it. And then they, they would institute, and I said this at the time when people were saying, oh, people, they need to federalize the federal elections when there was all these these voter these uh, voter fraud allegations, which, by the way, I've referred every single time in these videos that get kicked off, voter fraud allegations every time. I don't say they're voter fraud. I say it's voter fraud allegations. I can't even utter those words without my video getting taken down and then me getting strikes and getting taken off of YouTube. I cannot even say it. No one, everyone's afraid to say it. Everyone uh, uh, that's regulated by the FEC or the FCC, I'm sorry, the FCC with the radio, television, all that. Uh, Rush Limbaugh can't say it. Buck Sexton doesn't say it. None of them. They, they go, they talk about how can this system, that they're, they're talking about the Wall Street situation. That's rigged. This rigged. That, and then they say, oh, elections. Oh, can't say nothing about it. I'm not allowed to because I will literally get taken off of here for saying something. So it's just weird that the one thing you cannot even question, it is a beyond reproach uh, categorization of a... Of a of a system you cannot say anything about it and yeah so permitting the the members of congress now we're having the federal government now depict what the entire country should be doing in their voting systems and their voter i guess you would say their voter uh methods and the reason that they prescribe this to the individual states the individual states their legislative branch would know themselves what is the best for their people because they're directly representative of the people and they know how you know the system works okay in idaho let's say we have a lot of farmers there potato farmers let's open up the polls at this time and end at this time because then a lot of our most of our uh voter population will be able to vote at that time and that's the point of this so the roadmap to the one-party rule, this is even more important because I remember I read this in the piece. I read, I, I skimmed through the 35-page uh, House resolution 
And one of the things which was very weird is if states do not adhere to these rules, they now will get no federal money. So now what we're doing is we're holding money at ransom from the federal government so that they have to instill the policies that the federal government is trying to push down their throat for one-party rule. So this piece, it's a roadmap to a one-party rule. It is written by Phil Klein, is from Real Clear Politics. And it states, it starts off, although the Constitution explicitly places state legislatures in charge of managing federal elections, H.R. 1 seeks to use the power of the purse to bludgeon the states into conforming to a centralized system pioneered in California and other deep blue states. Congress can't technically compel the states to change their voting laws, but seasoned politicians know that the states have become dependent on federal money to run their elections and can't afford to pick up the tab themselves. So they're going to have to adhere to these rules because they legitimately cannot afford to run these uh, federal elections themselves. The federal government will not give them money unless they adhere to their rules. To make matters worse, H.R. 1 declares that Congress possesses ultimate supervisory power over federal elections, end quote. An extraordinary usurpation of government authority that the founders specifically assigned to the states, which is true. That's all correct. Now, H.R. 1, next, it, co- it would codify the very practices, many of them currently illegal in most states, that created widespread irregularities in the 2020 elections and contributed greatly to public mistrust of the electoral process. In 2020, state and local officials used the COVID-19 pandemic as justification to ignore or deliberately violate state election laws. If H.R. 1 is enacted, they won't need any such excuse in 2022 because the states will have no choice but to implement policies such as legalized ballot harvesting, early voting, and universal mail-in voting, as well as repeal of voter ID laws, signature matching laws, and other ballot security measures. So any type of ballot security uh, such as voter ID laws, which I think is is probably one of the most reasonable as it relates to election security, um, signature matching, which we saw a very a lack of in Georgia. We saw a lack of that in other states. I think Pennsylvania as well. They changed the entire law around through executive fiat. They used the Secretary of State to change the law as it relates to signature matching in Georgia. Particularly, they're making people there had to be three people to check the signature match to verify and then everyone had to sign off. Uh, whereas years ago, it wasn't the same way. And that was all changed without the legislative branch, which is directly uh, in violation of the Constitution and the other ballot security measures. So they're going to set up a system where there are re- there's really no ballot security. So next... For example, H.R. 1 would allow ballot harvesting on steroids. Voters would, for the first time, have the ability to print out their ballots at home. This this is insane here. They would have the ability to print out their ballots at home, creating a gaping security hole that could easily be exploited by either domestic or foreign interests. The legislation also allows third party to collect ballots from an unlimited number of absentee voters and submit them through ballot drop boxes dramatically increasing the risk that vulnerable Americans could be bullied, bribed, or blackmailed for their votes uh, without the protection of election workers. So the very last part there where the the ballot harvesting, that happened actually in Texas. It was a 
person that was registered as a Republican that was ballot harvesting, but they were walking around pushing people to vote as for Democrats. And there's video from Project Veritas. She actually got arrested for it. The allegations are still going through the court system process. So this is a real thing. This is actual. This actually happens. And then another part of this that it states is under the rules outlined in H.R. 1, election observers wouldn't be able to even challenge the legitimacy of ballots without written documentation, making it virtually impossible to document or deter election irregularities. So pretty much they want to eliminate the ballot watchers, the people that are supposed to observe what's going on. And the only way that they can challenge it is to write some sort of documentation on it as it's happening but then when that's happening then there's other then they have to sit there and watch other ballots being counted so it's very wishy-washy it's not good um and that's what they're proposing they're, they're proposing essentially a chance for a one-party rule just to gain more and more power more political power and loosen the restrictions on voting so they can stuff the ballot box that's what it sounds like to me now you could you could perceive it as you want to but that's from my from what I'm seeing here is I think we need more voter security. We should have voter ID laws. Uh, we should have people. And if you just think about it, how difficult it is in real life to live without having an ID. And to make it as if people are so stupid that they can't get an ID is borderline. It is it is uh, repugnant. It is disrespectful to make it like, oh, well, you know, the average the average minority can't, can't get a vote, an ID. That's usually what the Democrat Party says. So they're disenfranchising a bunch of minority voters. So you're telling us from the Democrat Party, you guys are telling us that your, your voting base is so stupid that they can't even go and get their own ID. An ID is free from what I understand, especially in Jersey. I'm pretty sure the driver's license, you have to pay like five bucks or something for the registration for it. But a ID, I think you can, I'm pretty sure you can go to the motor vehicle and get just an ID and it's free. So they're, what they're implying is that their voter base is so dumb that they can't even get IDs. And that's really not the truth. What, what they're actually really saying is they don't want the idea of voter ID because then you can just walk in there. For example, in New Jersey, I can literally walk in there and get a provisional ballot and I did not have to show ID. I didn't have to do anything because I know because that's what I did. So next what I have is we have a Project Veritas video. I don't know if I want to show you that first. Or if I want to show you the hate speech question or the question that, okay, so Jen Psaki, she got a question about President Trump getting kicked off Twitter. And this is what she has to say about it. Uh, play clip two. Considered. This may be hard to believe. We don't spend a lot of time talking about or thinking about President Trump here. Former President Trump, uh, to, to be very clear. Um, I can't say we miss him on Twitter. Does President Biden support the continuing ban of, of, of President Trump on their sites? I think that's a decision made by Twitter. We've, we've certainly spoken to, and he's spoken to, um, the need for social media platforms to continue to take steps to reduce hate speech. Um, but we don't have more for you on it than that. So first and foremost, I don't actually really know if there is any hate speech that came from Donald Trump's account. Now, there's things challenging election results, and apparently that's what he got kicked off for. We're not really sure at this point. I think it's mostly politics, uh, the reason in which he got kicked off for. And then she makes it, she kind of dodges, dodges the question, oh, well, they can do whatever they want, but President Biden's talked a lot about doing this and making sure we cut back on hate speech. So I can actually see in the future some sort of legislation that they try to propose restricting speech, and it's going to be classifying hate speech. Once you classify or codify hate speech, it's really up to the interpreter. It's very... Uh, it's very subjective, just as the incitement of violence that everybody refers to in the Capitol building. 
Everyone refers to it as an incitement of violence, but I don't see any criminal charges being pushed against against Donald Trump. He's now a civilian, so if you want to, you can go ahead with those criminal charges. I don't see them being pushed because they know that there's not a real incitement of violence, and they know when, when they go and play the video, which they have not done to the public, that there is not an incitement of violence there when he calls for people to peacefully protest and let their or peacefully let their voices be heard. Twitter actually referred to the term "American Patriots." itself because he says it in the speech as inciting violence so that's it's very subjective uh this whole thing's very subjective the idea of hate speech is subjective to the point where the government can codify and regulate it to the extent where you are now unable to talk about specific topics without getting either fined or thrown in prison so that's why it's a very slippery slope on the uh, freedom of speech end. And it seems like, like I said before, Democrats do not care. People that are liberals right now, they are watching everything transpire. And they're saying nothing. They're silent. They, they were so obsessed with... They really have that level 12 Trump derangement syndrome. And I used to hear other conservatives talk about it. I wasn't on social media, so I didn't really know. I was like, yeah, okay. I mean, how many people really hate him to that extent where they're willing to just watch people get laid off from their jobs, get their rights taken away from them. They're, they're okay with giving their rights to the government just to get rid of Donald Trump. Like I didn't really actually, me personally, I didn't believe that. I didn't think that was an actual, uh, real thing. But it's it's true at this point. I've posted many things. Others have posted many things about the pipeline jobs, about First Amendment. They're talking about Second Amendment things. A lot of uh, a lot of instances where the campaign is now, or or now the president is pushing things that are not from his campaign and he said he wouldn't do. Now he's going ahead and he's doing those things. He's pretty much failing on his campaign promises. And it seems like there is absolutely no dissent from the liberals out there. They're just happy not to see Donald Trump in there because a couple of the tweets hurt their feelings and a couple of the things he said may have hurt their feelings. But in terms of policy, he was very highly effective. Uh, the deregulation, a lot of economic policies which i guess people don't really care about money being in their pocket they'd rather have their money taken from them from the government and confiscated just because the guy that's in the president the presidential position to them seems like a better fit because he's a career politician this is the party that they always talk about oh well, government this government that politicians and then they go and they vote the bona fide embodiment of a politician the dude's been in government for 47 years he has not done much he's always been known as the dumb guy that's in in congress uh and now he's your president because that's the guy that you voted you voted for the idiotic machine politician after complaining about how much you hate the uh, establishment or you claim to hate the establishment but secretly you really love the establishment it's as long as your person's in power because you don't have values you don't have principles you only care about whoever's in the power whoever's at the top of the spectrum of power then you're happy then it's okay because you believe in political deities you don't actually have any type of beliefs or principles that you hold so next what I have, I have Facebook. It is Project Veritas on the case once again. So they infiltrated a Facebook video call, conference call. So you got Zuckerberg and then you have Nick Clegg, who is the head of global affairs, as well as uh, the vice president of integrity, Guy Rosen. So it sounds like a bunch of wasteful positions. But I'm going to play that one. It's about a minute long, minute and a half. Uh, play clip six. In his first day, President Biden already issued a number of executive orders um, on areas that we as a company really care 
uh, quite deeply about. But there has been quite a lot of disquiet expressed by many leaders around the world, from the president of Mexico to Alexander Navalny in Russia, the Chancellor Angela Merkel, and others saying, well, this shows that private companies have got too much power, and they should be only making these decisions in a way that is framed by democratically uh, agreed rules. We agree with that. We agree with that. Mark will be very clear about that, that ideally we wouldn't be taking these decisions on our own. We would be taking these decisions in line with and in conformity with democratically uh, uh, agreed uh, rules and principles. Um, and at the moment, those democratically, elected, uh, democratically agreed rules don't exist. We still have to take decisions in real time. We have a system that uh, is able to freeze commenting on threads in cases where systems are uh, detecting that there may be a thread that has hate speech or violence sort of in the comments. These are all things we've built over the past three, four years as part of our investments into the integrity space or efforts to protect elections. That these were, were all important and positive steps. And um, I, I am looking forward uh, to, to opportunities where Facebook is gonna be able to work together uh, with this new administration um, on some of their top priorities, starting uh, with the COVID response. So pretty much, I, first, I just want to point out how ironic it is that the British guy with the British accent is talking about democratically elected or democratically voted on restrictions of speech, which just is not, that's not possible. It's nonsensical. We have a republic, constitutional republic, that bestows rights uh from our creator upon us not by the government so the first amendment really is not there's there's no you can't sit there we're not going to play games with it it's not really um it's non-negotiable the idea of some sort of restriction on speech is non-negotiable and he's already saying well there's there's no government's put this in place so now we're taking it upon ourselves to do it because the government has it's like they're sitting there asking and then before all of that you got zuckerberg talking about executive orders and it's things that we really really care about as a company because we care so much about speech and and this and that and then at the very end well, we look forward to working with this administration. So we have the Biden administration acting like they have nothing to do with Facebook or Twitter or any of these companies, like they're at an arm's distance. But realistically, they're at an arm's distance. They're right there in their pocket for any time that they need them to crack down on speech from conservatives. It's just it's just hilarious. And then this video comes out and makes them look like a bunch of clowns. And there's nothing they can do about it because there's insiders at, at Facebook that obviously do not feel the same way and feel like the First Amendment is something to be cherished. And and it's just it's just hilarious, and so uh, it really is hypocrisy coming from them. So the Biden administration Commerce Secretary open to raising taxes. That's what I have next. That is a Bongino.com uh, article that I have. But first off, I want to play you the clip of where she says it. This is when she was trying to be. Uh, they were trying to appoint her and approve her to be in Biden's cabinet. I forgot her exact name. We'll get it here, but. She talks about, they ask her about, oh, would you be open to raising taxes, gas taxes, what have you? And then she gives you an answer. So uh, play clip three. The, um, the nominee for Transportation Secretary, um, Mayor Budapest, last week said he was receptive to increasing the gas tax. And again, this, is a, this, is a, uh, this would be something that would impact the, you know, the poorest families in our country significantly. Uh, what is your position on that? And do you think that how, how, how would that impact your ability to do your job as Secretary of, of uh, Commerce? Yes. So I, I would defer to Congress um, to make that decision. Uh, let me say this. I, uh, as governor, am deeply in touch with 
how much increasing bills affect the average American family. Uh, having said that, uh, we do need to um, meet the climate change challenge and we need funds for improved infrastructure, better roads, safer roads, safer bridges, and uh, which also creates jobs. So I would look to um, balance those interests and, and work as a piece of the president's team. So that's for people listening. That's Gina Raimondo. That is going to be the Commerce Secretary of the Biden administration. And that is Rick Scott, Senator from Florida. That's asking her the questions. First off, she's saying, you know, the legislative branch really has the power to do that. But because she's a governor, uh, but so she knows the laws, but I'd be willing to raise the gas tax because Buttigieg said so, Mayor Buttigieg, I don't even know what his position, I think he's tra transportation secretary, it's all these BS positions and it's a bunch of bureaucracy, but he said he's willing to do that to rebuild the infrastructure, and she says, yeah, we need that for the balance, so essentially the the campaign running on no increases on the taxes for the middle class has now imposed an increase or, or a proposal for an increase of taxation on the middle class. So there's another broken promise from the administration, and it's just about two weeks in at this point. So we'll see what ends up happening with this. I would really hate to see a rise. And now I have a, a article, Bongino.com. It's written by Mike Robert Lee, and he states, he starts it off, he says, and this is Biden, this is exactly what Biden says, talking about the middle class taxes. Now, and I quote, nobody making under 400,000 bucks would have their taxes raised, period. Bingo. Let's get people back to work. Let's get them to work. And this is something he said in May during his campaign. Now, obviously, if, if they go through with something like this and increase the taxation uh, on gas, we're going to see a broken promise there. And that wouldn't surprise anybody, obviously. And according to the University of Illinois analysis, just raising the gas tax itself would have severe implications for low and middle income earners while having little benefit on the environment. And you can read that. There's a um, there's a link inside of the article for that. And I read it, I read off a couple things. They're talking about increase in spending of this much. So, so the average family, because of an increase in tax, and it's an, it's a hefty increase that they're proposing. It will automatically alone before anything is even the price of oil is even added on. It's going to be something like a dollar ninety in just taxes that you're paying per gallon. So it would ex it would really expand the amount of taxation, and it would extend how much it's going to cost by a pretty substantial margin. Uh, now. One of Biden's first actions as president was to issue an executive order aimed at fighting climate change, but it comes with a steep price tag of about $2 trillion. Biden also promised an ambitious $2 trillion infrastructure plan on the campaign trail, raising questions as to where the funding for this climate and infrastructure agenda will come from. So yeah, so so we're having these huge, and, and $2 trillion's uh, pretty substantial, especially if you say it's a four-year period, two trillion dollars. It's five hundred billion every single year. Our normal, our normal budget's usually around four trillion, so it's a pretty substantial amount of the budget. It'd be about an eighth of the budget every single year would have to be uh, based on that alone. And then when they're both combined, it's really like four trillion. So it'd be really just a lot. It'd, it'd really be a trillion every single year on infrastructure and um, and climate change. I just can't see it being done, especially right now. Pandemic, you had a lot of small businesses closed down. 
I just can't see something like that working, texting the people even more when they haven't been able to go to work this entire time and they don't have any type of savings and they're trying to build up their money in order to spend on commodities and products that their family needs. So next uh, to build on that, what I have is a debunking the $15 minimum wage. I have an article from Bongino.com. Once again, it's written by John Hawkins. And this one's very important. This one explains the whole idea behind the $15 minimum wage before years ago, what it used to be is we've seen a party switch from these big businesses, these big organizations. It used to be, okay, we're in favor of low taxes. So we go and and less regulation. So we go and we vote for the Republican party. Now they realized that they can easily beat down their opponents by voting for the Democrat party. Democrat party will go forward with $15 minimum wage hikes, which will decimate small business who are already, if you're not shut down 30%, we have one third of small businesses have been shut down this year because of everything, because the forced closures from a lot of governments, a lot of their policies and regulations have really uh, hampered their ability to grow as a business and survive. So you see 30%, one third of our entire small businesses shut down. On top of that, now $15 minimum wage coming down the pike. You cannot afford to do that as a small business owner, which Amazon knows. So there's some reports coming out now. Amazon in 2018 was actually lobbying for a raise of the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Why is that? Is it because Amazon knows they can afford to pay that much, but they know their competitors cannot they know some of these small businesses were, that are producing goods that Amazon legitimately copies them and, and makes the exact same thing and just sells it under their Amazon name and they sell it cheaper. They can beat them that way and now they can beat them to the minimum wage. So if these people have to hire uh, people to manufacture at a price of $15 an hour when they're not making enough on the product to make up for that price, they're going to have to raise the price of their product. So if they before were beating out Amazon, Amazon's going to be able to beat them out now with the price. And that's essentially the reason that these big corporations like the idea of a $15 minimum wage hike because a lot of them, such as a a Target, already pays $15. So around here, at least in New Jersey. So for them to get that $15 minimum wage hike, it does not make a difference for them. They just gain more power. They take up all the business that was or all the customers that were going to the small business now that has to shut down. It gets taken up by these big corporations, which is why they lobby for a minimum wage hike to begin with. It has nothing to do with you, the worker. It, it absolutely has nothing to do with you. And if we're going to go for a $15 minimum wage, why don't we just go to a $30 minimum wage or a $100 minimum wage? Why is it that we are drawing Why is it that we are drawing some sort of line in the sand of where we can go if that's what it's all about? If it's all about paying people better, why don't we make the minimum wage $30 an hour so everyone lives really well and no economic, anybody that's an economist, any reasonable, realistic economist, anyone that is uh, renowned with some sort of clout behind their name they are never in favor of minimum wage set to begin with even having a minimum wage they're not in favor of or a minimum wage hike because they know it decimates small business as well as it decimates jobs people are just going to straight up get laid off or they'll get less hours because of it and they'll bring in less money so he goes through a couple reasons we got five different reasons and he debunks the minimum wage here john hawkins first he starts off with inflation He states, raising the minimum wage of $15 an hour is a recipe for inflation, particularly in areas where the wages are already low. If the guy making $7.25 gets $15, then the guy that was making $15 is going to demand $22.50. Who's going to pay for all this? That would be you after the business owners quite understandably raise prices to cover costs 
if it didn't work that way, we could raise the minimum wage to $1,000 and all of us could buy big houses and sports cars. Unfortunately, there is no free lunch. So he's right. So, so, and this actually, I personally experienced when I worked, I worked at a pizza joint when I was a kid, I was like 17 years old. I was making the minimum wage at the time in New Jersey, which was seven twenty-five an hour. As soon as they decided to raise it to eight twenty-five. I was already at 825 because over time I started to get some increases as I was there for a year. Then I said, okay, they're getting 825. I now want 925. And that's what ended up happening. They had to pay me 925 or else I was going to, you know, go and work somewhere else. So it does actually, and it was a small business that I worked for. So jobs will also be lost. And uh, so, so this is what John Hawkins writes. I, when I was young, I used to be a Burger King assistant manager. We had a guy there whose only two skills were basically mopping and making burgers at about 75% of the speed of other employees. Do you know what happens to a guy like that in a $15 an hour world? At best, he gets fewer hours. At worst, he gets fired or not hired in the first place. Because if you're not bringing in $15 worth of an hour worth of value to the table. You're a money loser and a business is not a charity. Why distort the market in a way that is guaranteed to harm the lowest skilled workers, which is right. This is, this is going to harm the lowest skilled workers. They will get laid off. And more importantly, from what he, what he points out to and what he alludes to is you have, you have a $15 minimum wage hike and if you do not bring that value to the table, you will get laid off. And the best way to explain this is, and this is why I really don't even believe in having a minimum wage to begin with, because you are, you should let the market decide what your value is as you work. The market is always the main determinant and it should be the one that's the most relied upon for what value your work is. If what you're doing is bringing the company in an hour, $100 an hour, and then they decide they're okay. Well, we're going to pay this guy seventy dollars an hour because he's bringing us in a hundred dollars an hour. We'll give him health benefits, everything else. Let's say that's how it goes. That is how a free market works. You are only it. This system will price people out. It will price them out of the labor. They will automize jobs because of this. And then. Next, what he has is, it means younger workers will be less skilled. A lot of people currently working minimum wage make. Mick Jobs is in McDonald Jobs are high school kids who quite understandably don't get paid a lot because they have no job experience and don't bring much to the table. So what happens if those starter jobs go away? These kids that don't get that early work experience, which makes them even less valuable to future employers and less ready to enter the workplace. What's the long-term economic benefit of creating a vicious cycle where it's harder than ever to get a job without experience, but it's simultaneously harder to get that experience, which is right. You won't be able to get experience because you won't have any skills and you have to build those skills up, but no one wants to pay anyone $15 an hour to build their skills up. They want to pay somebody minimum wage to get their skills built up. Then you get into a managerial position and you get paid more. It, it does really, all of that makes sense to me. I just don't think it's the government's job to depict to companies what they should be paying them. And then what, what people will say is, oh, okay, well, if you don't have, if you don't have the government tell them what they could pay them, then they're going to take advantage of the workers and pay them $2 an hour. That can't work in a free market system. That can't work where it's a competitive system in a free market if the mcdonald's is only paying you two dollars an hour then you can go to the popeyes across the street that's willing to pay you ten dollars an hour there there's always in other the grass is you know they always say the grass isn't so green on the other side there is actually some grass that's greener on the other side if they're abusing you as an employee at one place you can go to another place and get a, 
another job. I actually think that there should be more movement in occupations, me personally. Uh, I think that should be a real thing. I think we're a lot of times we're actually held down to the idea of having health care through our employer because it's not as free market of a system as everyone thinks it is. Everyone makes it like we need the subsidized government system and, and it already is heavily subsidized and it's not free market based. If it was free market based where you just paid some sort of an insurance plan where it was so much a month yourself, and it, it was a direct primary care, which is, you know, it's a long story to go into. But if you paid for some sort of system that way and you paid a monthly payment, almost like going to the gym, let's say it was $100 a month, you would see a lot more, you would see a lot more people moving from one job to another. There'd be much more mobilization in terms of that or, or transitioning. But that doesn't happen because people feel tied down to their current job because they say, oh, I got health care here, I got this, I got that. But you can always, well, my point is here is in a free market, you could always switch one job to the other. If they're not paying you good here, go somewhere else and, and work there. And having big businesses, having these big corporations does not help that because then they can all collude with each other. That's why having small business is good because a small business will pay you, oh, okay, well, I'm going to pay you this. Oh, they're paying you too. I'm going to pay you $10 over here. And that's much more likely to happen when you have more more uh, small business involvement in the economy. So next is it will spur on efforts to replace low-income workers with automation. I explained this. What you're going to have is you're going to have, when I worked at the pizza place myself, they had this machine and it was an acronym. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I knew it spelt out Mike. And everyone thought it was hilarious because that is my name. My name's Mike. And it made all the pizzas. It dressed them. It put the sauce on them. It put the cheese on them. And then it put the toppings on itself. And let's say that machine costs thirty thousand uh, dollars for that machine, and you have to pay me fifteen bucks an hour every single week. My paycheck. By the time everything's said and done, by the end of the year, I'm worth about as much as that machine is a year. I'm thirty thousand dollars. They can just buy that machine, and they automize my job, and they save themselves money after the first year. They make their money back. That's the point, and that's why they automize jobs to save more money because the government is making them pay more if that wasn't the case then they'd much rather just have me who's at least like a discernible comprehensive human being where it wouldn't be so easy where you can tell me oh fix that pizza and do this instead of telling a machine to do it the machine's not going to be as comprehensive in fixing it so very last one here it will drive some small businesses under uh, businesses across the country have taken a terrible beating over the last year they've been forced to shut down some of their customers may have avoided them out of the fear of getting covid in other cases they simply haven't been able to fully open because the government has refused to allow it now after all that biden is going to take these struggling businesses and hit them with potentially huge new costs so it will cause them to go under, essentially, and and this is a policy that is in favor of big business and big corporation power over the little guy and small business shutdown, this policy, and it's obvious. Anybody that knows economics knows that this one sounds good on paper. Politicians, these politicians pushing this know this as well. They legitimately know that this will cause 3.7 million jobs at most, 1.3 million jobs. They already had a cost analysis, through. I think it was through the State Department or through the cost and budgeting uh, office and the federal government they've already predicted oh this is going to lift 1.3 million people out of poverty that's what they said but it will also lay off 1.3 million so we're going to have a couple people make a couple more bucks and then every other people their income goes to zero they get zilch nothing so th this is a big corporation policy big corporation push and the politicians know it they just think that everyone here is so stupid that they actually don't know it so next what i have is a texas governor and and this is kind of related to to working energy. Texas governor is suing 
the Biden administration over their energy jobs that are being taken away from them right now. I have an article, there's a little video, uh, Governor Abbott talks about it. But just to go cl clearly on that, now you have these energy jobs that, have, jobs that have been taken away. There's a lot of infrastructure that's actually built up off of the taxation coming from those jobs. For example, New Mexico, I already stated this before, but about 30 to 40% of all their government programs, such as school, or whoever picks up the garbage, things of that nature, gets actually paid through... Um, taxation on gasoline because they have a pretty big oil industry over in new mexico so they're upset as well as texas is very pissed about it. texas is mad for a couple of reasons the open border policy is a serious problem for texans because they already they have no income tax right now uh their property taxes are pretty low they're pretty reasonable state tax sales tax i think it's something like seven percent but we're going to see a rise. They will have to compensate for how much they're paying for illegal aliens to be in their state because the illegal aliens don't pay to go to the, the ER. They don't pay for all these public services because they don't tax them because they're untaxed because they are illegal aliens. They're not on the books. And they also drive down the price of labor in that area too. So it screws out the little guy over in, in Texas. And they have to now pay for people that are not on the rolls that aren't paying taxes. And that has to be compensated by regular taxpayers and regular Americans there. So they sued him for that too as well. But this is, I just want to show you the absolute, just uh, how they are, dis almost, almost like the Biden administration is just displaced. And our politicians in general... Uh, specifically our, our, our establishment politicians that do that let them eat cake thing and they just have no idea of really what's going on they're so displaced from real world real working class people of what is actually going on that they they have common gaps just such as this one so this is kamala harris she's talking a little bit about the uh, coal industry and just hear what she has to say she calls the coal mines she calls them landmines uh play clip three job creation around for example all of those skilled workers who are in the coal industry and 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 transferring those skills to what we need to do in terms of dealing with reclaiming abandoned um, uh, landmines what we need to do around plugging leaks from oil and gas wells and and transferring those important skills to the work that has yet to be done that needs to get you got to disarm those those landmines, I guess. I don't know. She so this is this is what we get from the Democrat Party. We get okay, your jobs are all gone and abolished, but we're gonna do clean energy, and clean energy is not coming right now. It's coming in a couple years from now. So we you could have had an illustrious career for about twenty years, but that's when we're gonna start enacting a lot of our clean energy proposals. We're gonna have much more of that as batteries become more powerful and all these other forms of electricity or power become more efficient we're going to do that so so in the meantime those 20 years forward in the meantime we'll just get rid of all your jobs now and then for 20 years you could sit around and then by the time you're ready to retire then you can go to a job manufacturing solar panels which is once again i've explained this, this is subsidized by the government these are not uh, industries that are uh that are doing very very well uh, not much, not even close to the amount of money that's being brought in by the oil industry. So if you're going to go do that job manufacturing solar panels, those will all be jobs that are going to be low paying or if they're subsidized by the government, they're going to be taxpayer jobs. And that was something that the secretary, the commerce, I think her name's, what was her name again? Gina Raimondo, the 
Commerce Secretary was explaining, well, that's going to create more jobs. No, no, having government workers does not create more jobs. Like I said before, government, government workers, government is a loss. It is a net zero every single year on the economy. Not even a loss, but is also actually a negative on the economy every single year to our GDP. Having to run the government is a negative on GDP every single year. So adding jobs through the creation of the government um, spectrum just is not real. That's not real adjustment to jobs. It's not, it's not, it's, it's artificial jobs. They don't really count towards job creation. It's just more taxpayer dollars getting thrown into government programs and government subsidies when the private industry was doing just fine on its own, lowering their own carbon emissions. The United States before the Paris climate agreement, after they got out of it, that year afterwards, the United States of all of the countries that were involved in it lowered its net carbon emissions the most and they were not in the Paris Climate Agreement. So it is complete BS being in that agreement. It only restricts the United States and the United States has to throw more money into it and then other countries around the world just don't follow it. So what I have next is I have an article, Breitbart. It's a uh, nine signs Joe Biden is a third world leader. I actually think this one's hilarious when I read it. I was very surprised, actually, the comparisons here. I, I wasn't thinking about it in this in this way, in the way in which Joel Pollack, the writer, is thinking about it. But once he brings it up, then I think of I draw comparisons between Nazi Germany and then other authoritarian regimes, whether it was Mussolini in uh, Italy or it was Joseph Stalin in Russia or even uh, what Genghis Khan. I mean, there's a lot of them Mao over in in China. So first off is the idea of ruling by executive order. Once again, that is that is much more authoritarian in nature. It is something that eliminates the representation of the people themselves. It's it's a undemocratic or non-republic principle to go ahead with executive orders. To begin with, the legislative branch never should have delegated the power of making law under an executive order. Uh, and then the ex the examples here he has is. This strange, oh yeah, he goes on to say that if you're going through executive order, then unless you're you're only a dictator if you go through executive order, which is what Biden actually said himself, and how Speaker Nancy Pelosi has supported him on his venture pretty much to uh, these with these transformative executive actions. And I just saw a video today him saying, oh, well, I'm not doing, I'm not making new laws. All I'm doing is repealing bad ones, talking about Trump or what have you? Just is that's actually not true. There, there are certain things that he got rid of that Trump mandated himself through executive order, but most of the things are new executive orders. A lot of them having to do with climate. Uh, so putting a predecessor on trial. So this is something that you've seen in a lot of authoritarian regimes. When someone steps up into power, what they'll do is they'll put their predecessor on trial, or they'll put their political opposition on trial. And this was done in. Um, what is it? Maduro. I, I believe Maduro currently is trying to do it in Venezuela against, I don't remember the name of the guy that was running against him. He's trying to put him on trial. He's trying to persecute him pretty much or get him killed because he even challenges his power and authority. So what we're seeing now is we're seeing Donald Trump is being put on a impeachment trial. That's a sham. That's a hoax impeachment trial that nothing will materialize from. But we'll see what ends up happening after this. I have a very good feeling that they're going to try to indict him on court, in court for some sort of criminal charges, I'm sure, just to teach him a lesson and as a retribution, punitive damages towards the American people. Let them know, hey, if you go against the establishment, this is what happens to you. They just want to make an example of him. So next, number three, is censorship of opposition. 
and this is something that's been done through the political wing or the or the arm of the Democrat Party, which now the enforcement wing has become, and no pun intended, the bird, the Twitter, uh, the Tweety Bird has now become the enforcement wing of of language on uh, on their platform as well as Facebook. So so there's been a censorship coming, and it has been in congruence or to benefit the Biden administration and only censorship of the opposition and then they'll say oh well you know they went against our community guidelines but then there's people that are on the left that also go against the community guidelines consistently but they're not taken off or deplatformed so number four is attacking the private sector so and and this is actually something that's been done through um this was done as well in venezuela i don't remember the name of the of the uh the regime trying to think exactly what his name was was it Che Clavara or no it was the other one I can't remember his name now Chavez Chavez took over essentially took over the oil industry which was very illustrious it was, it was a highly successful uh, industry and he took it over through government rule and then literally drained all of the profits out of it and now it's it's useless and it was their main I think 90% of the economy relied on oil over in Venezuela, and now that's not gonna, that's not happening, and they draw the comparison to the Keystone Pipeline, and that's what happens with socialism, socialism is, government comes in, and this is a very important lesson here, they come in, they say, oh, okay, so this food, this apple costs two dollars, people can't afford that, so we're gonna subsidize it, we're gonna come out with our own apple, we're gonna take taxpayer dollars to pay for this apple to be on the market for a dollar. So then they end up putting the competition at $2. They put them out of business and then they buy up their business. And then they continue to do that. They branch out more and more where the government owns businesses. They branch out more and more into the, the market and they undercut everybody because they have the power by subsidizing it through taxpayer dollars to undercut everyone's industry, every single business to provide what they, what they think is uh, more effective pricing and this is something that was also done. This is done in our government right now with a lot of the um, Section 8 housing and things of that nature where they lower the price at the expense of everybody else. It's a pretty much a social system, a social program at the price of everybody else where it makes it unaffordable for the regular person to live in an actual house because they're paying for everybody else to live on Section 8 housing and government-funded housing. So what happens is they just keep buying up more and more business industry until the money actually runs out and the money that they had to subsidize the business and make it cheap for everyone now runs out and they no longer have any money to make things cheap and all the commodities skyrocket in price and it just it ends in a complete horrific nightmare and a collapse of a government and a collapse for the middle class people that live there that end up starving. So then next what we have is exploiting identity politics. Um... And that's something that was also, and and just to draw the comparison, identity politics. Who's the first thing person that you think of? In my opinion, would be either, it would either be Mao or the current Chinese regime, which they're doing with religion right now. They're persecuting religious people in China, or it would be Hitler, who use identity politics to hate on the Jews or hate on minority groups, and they use the idea of the white race or the blonde blue hair, they called it the Aryan nation, the Aryan brotherhood or what have you, use the Aryan base uh, as an identity politics to get them on his side uh, and then, you know, take over the entire country. It's very, it, and, and they use, you know, the whole systematic racism, that's what the Biden administration uses, the identity politics, that's how they get their votes, and then that's how they push their 1619 project, and that's why they're hating on the 1776 commission, 
which was Trump's Trump's idea of modifying the education system based on histor- history and more patriotism rather than hating on America all the time. And if you actually read the 1776 commission, a lot of it was actually about uh, the history of America, how we're not perfect. And, but, but also talked about a lot of our black leaders, such as Frederick Douglass, Martin Luther King, I think even Malcolm X is in there a little bit, Harriet Tubman. So there's a lot of that going on in the 1776 project, but our commission, but they didn't want to actually talk about that. They just said, it's all false. Uh, you know, that's what Biden said the other day, it's false and that's it. And he didn't go into any type of detail because obviously he didn't even skim over it or read it. He just said that because that's what his handlers tell him to say. So next one I have is is challenging judicial independence. One of the only checks on a runaway executive or legislature is an independent judiciary. So this is the idea of he wants to pack the courts, he wants to reform the courts so that they are more left wing, and then by doing that, you became it becomes a super legislature in the uh, judicial branch because whatever the the Supreme Court decides on as the precedent for the state for the country that is now widespread throughout the country instead of actually having to pass some sort of legislation that's approved by the people themselves it's a much easier way to pass legislation through the uh, judicial branch rather than actually get the votes and do the work and have the constituency actually agree with whatever the policy is that's proposed so purging former officials Biden is removing pretty much everyone from office that was a predecessor during the last administration, which is really up to him. He can do that. I don't think me personally, I don't think that's that big of a deal. I think it's more of a big deal that they're politically going after these people and trying to get them imprisoned, trying to get people to bar their bar association, their, their bar certification taken away. They can't be lawyers or get their, uh, get their degrees from Harvard taken away. That to me is a bigger deal than anything. Cause then now they're unemployable. They're on a list and they can't be employed because they were a part of the past administration. Now encouraging a slavish media. So a good way to put it. So this is how the media has been in lockstep with the Democrat party, social media, as well as the mainstream media, which is obvious. We've seen an actual drop over these last two weeks. MSNBC and CNN as well have both have rate their ratings dropped. And I actually have that. And I think I'm going to go over that over this weekend. I just read the article today. So they both dropped and it's because they were so opposed to Trump all the time. If it bleeds, it leads the stories that they produced about Trump. A lot of them, with the uh, anonymous people, so no one actually knows if they're true stories or if they're just fabricated, and then they put the name under anonymous source or what have you. But that is how they attracted a lot of their viewership, and now they're not getting the same thing because they're in lockstep and they're really uh, genuflecting and kissing, kissing the rear end of the current administration. Nobody wants to actually watch that. And, uh, and and that's very – the media is almost like the fourth branch of the government. They really do – they're supposed to protect us and safeguard the nation by telling us facts and telling us what's going on and not really giving us the perce- their perception of it, not giving us an opinion. They're supposed to just report news and report facts. That's the point, that's the point of them being called the news. Uh, but now what we see is we just see a partisan – lens all the time and it's people and and it's okay that there's the sean handy there's the tucker carlson these are people that admittedly say that they are partisan but then you have cnn and you have msnbc that do not i mean msnbc does much more but you have cnn that does not say they're partisan they make it like they're a legitimate news source and the very last one is military in the streets 
And this is a this is something that I've mentioned many times when people are saying, oh, Trump's challenging the election results. Yeah, okay, so he's doing that. And they say, oh, he's a tyrant because of this and that. Tyrants do not go through the court system. Tyrants, what they do is they mobilize the military and they hold it down and then they they persecute and they imprison their political adversary. That's usually what's done. And that's something that's actually being done currently in, I think, Burma. And that's something that I'll have at the very end of this paper, I mean, of this uh, of this video, is Burma, apparently there's been a military mobilization of the current leader saying that they didn't lose the election, but they really lost the election or something. And it's just funny that, and then, and then Biden says, we're going to go, you know, we'll go to, we're going to, we might take action on them. So we might be seeing another war imposed. And I think that's somewhere in Asia, uh, Burma. And there's a bunch of pictures of them out now that have become viral. It's pictures of like the Obama administration with all the Burma officials and that particular, uh, I guess they're called the president or the prime minister there, but whatever. So usually, like I said, authoritarian leaders, what they do is they, they mobilize the military and, and their military is there all the time supporting them as a enforcement arm because the government kind of has almost a monopoly on force in certain aspects. Uh, but the people of this country actually are somewhat armed, whereas in other countries they legitimately have a monopoly on force. So that'll conclude that one. Next, what I have is nursing home deaths undercounted by thousands. This is a Yahoo News article, and I think I have some other. I have another article to follow up this one. I think. Oh no, this is the one I chose because I had two different ones. So this one's written by Marina Villanueva, Bernard Condon, and Matt Zidensky. And this is the nursing home deaths undercounted by thousands in New York. And they, this information just came out. And uh, we've had, I think, nine different health officials that work for the current administration, Cuomo, Mayor, uh, Governor Cuomo over in New York. They actually stepped down just, just yes, as of yesterday. So what happened was, to the surprise, uh, a surprise development after months of the state refusing to divulge its true numbers showed that at least 12,743 long-term care residents died of the virus as of January 19th, far greater than the official tally of 8,505. So 8,505 is the is the official tally, tally and this is the one that I was referring to I've actually referred to this before how Mayor Qua or President Cuomo is not open and transparent with how many people have passed away in these nursing homes. And I said, oh, that's weird. We should keep an eye on that. Let's see what's going to happen. So that's what I was referring to. So now it looks like there's been about 4,200 more people have actually died than they reported. And making New York's death toll the highest in the nation as one of the highest in the nation. I think next to maybe New Jersey, I think we're both like one and two, maybe California is close. Uh, those numbers are consistent with a report released just hours earlier by state attorney general, Letitia James charging that the nursing home death count could be off by about 50% largely because New York is one of the, of only one of the only states to count just those who died on facility grounds, not those who later died in the hospital. So essentially they were counting people that died in the facility grounds in the nursing homes. But if they died in the hospital after being transported from a nursing home in which they got the COVID-19, then they didn't count that. And now she comes out with a report and she probably let the administration uh, in New York know, hey, listen, I'm coming out with this report because everyone's a Democrat here. I'm coming out with this report. 
and you guys got to do something. You got to get ahead of this before it really damages you. So they got ahead of it, and then she came out the report literally like the next day, telling everybody it's it's could be off by about fifty percent, which is accurate because fifty percent of eight thousand is four thousand. So that was the increase. It went from eight thousand five hundred five to uh, twelve thousand seven hundred forty three. So also James's so Letitia James's review also found that a lack of infection controls at nursing homes put residents at increased risk of harm that homes with lower federal scores for staffing had higher fatality rates and that a broad measure Cuomo signed in April shielding nursing homes and other health care providers from lawsuits may have actually encouraged homes to hold back on hiring and training. So that's that's great. So he essentially he comes through with this rule where you have to stay, you have to keep them in the nursing home, or we were sending people that had COVID-19 back to the nursing homes while they still have a case of COVID-19, thus ending in a spread that was exacerbated. And then from there, people passed away in droves, unfortunately, in New York. And then she did this investigation and she found all these, there was an increased um, risk of harm because what they did was they took away, I don't think it mentions here, no, yeah, his federal his federal measure or his measures that he took in his executive orders, it lessened the healthcare providers had no liability. So there was no lawsuit. So it encouraged them not to really actually care about the spread of COVID-19, unfortunately. And this is huge to the blow of uh, Andrew Cuomo because this entire time, COVID-19, he was going on CNN with his brother, Chris Cuomo. They're making stupid jokes. And then I think he, he won some sort of award for how well he did as the governor. And he did a horrible job even to begin with before these numbers came out. And these numbers came out. And now his his reputation's... I'd like to think that his reputation has been uh, decimated, but who knows at this point? I mean, it doesn't really matter because the no matter what happens, the media will come out and they'll protect and they just won't report just like they did with the Hunter Biden case, which is still a lot of information is getting out. I don't know if some of these things are true, what I'm reading online, but if they are, they're very, very appalling and disgusting in the case of Hunter Biden and uh, some of the information that he has on, on his laptop. From some of the things that I'm reading, it's it's pretty uh, abhorrent. So America has two sets of rules. This is the next article I have. This is from Bongino.com. John Hawkins, Hawkins' piece, what he does here is he uh, he alludes to some of the, the Capitol building riots and the, well, the, the riot at the Capitol building, and then compares it, draws the comparison to some of the special privileges if you are on one political side to the other, the difference. So it also seems rather noteworthy that after the riots at the Capitol building, a permanent fence was built around the building in short order. We haven't managed to do the same thing at the border despite it being authorized by law since 2006. You see there are also some groups favored by the elite that get special privileges in America. Illegal aliens are allowed to break the law to come here. Men who declare that they are women get to go into women's locker rooms and play women's sports despite the obvious problems with it. Democrats are calling for all Americans to pay off the college loans of people that willingly took them in exchange for for nothing. Obamacare drove the cost of health care into the stratosphere for for most Americans to help a tiny slice of the population that didn't get health insurance before they became seriously ill. We're today now today we're told that we're the 
this male-dominated society oppressed by Christians, conservatives, and supposed white supremacists, but that's so far out of touch with reality, it might as well be coming from another dimension. There is a quote often misattributed to Voltaire uh, that goes something like, and I quote, to learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticize, end quote. By that standard, it, it sure isn't Christians, conservatives, men, or white Americans that rule anything. And and that's that's definitely true. So now just to refer to a couple things, Obamacare, that's completely correct. That's what happened. You're paying for people that were not insured this entire time. So if they were actually insured and they were paying into the insurance every single uh, every single couple weeks or what have you, then when they actually got injured, their insurance would be able to pay for it. Now what they did was they didn't have to they didn't have to insure themselves until a major event happened, then they got insured and then we had to pay for it because they weren't paying it the entire time. And that's what he's referring to. Illegal aliens, depending on what state you live in, whatever uh, laws are violated, they're not sent back to their, their country. I mean, everything here to me seems pretty spot on if you actually look at what is currently going on. And then he goes on here. If you want to see who this nation's elites are, look for the kids being handed obscene amounts of money for access to their parents, the bullies who made a mainstream media career out of making everything about race, and the powerful people who get to cry capitalism when they win and need a bailout when they lose. Those people aren't better than you, but they are far more privileged than you. Your kids probably aren't going to be given a break to get into college. You'll get laughed at by these people instead of helped if you're mistreated and nobody in Washington showed up without with a bailout when the small business you put your life into closed up because for of the unnecessary COVID lockdowns, a lot of people endlessly talk about sensitivity and fairness in this country, but most of them are going to be speared right out of their shoes by karma if they ever get it. So what he's referring to kind of is GameStop, debacle, everything that happened there. So you have all these people, the rich elitists, like a Chelsea Clinton. She gets paid so much money to go speak at events, and really what it is is it's buying influence. They'll, they'll pay her $200,000. They did the same thing to Bill Clinton when Hillary was running in the last election. They'll pay $200,000 for Bill to go give a speech where realistically they don't actually need that much money. Uh, he's not actually worth that much, his, his speech that he gives. It's just to buy influence in Washington. It's the same thing that they did with Secretary, or uh, what is she, the Commerce Secretary, or Treasure Sec Secretary Yellen, who got paid out by Melvin uh, Capital Group, one of the hedge funds involved. She got paid like $800,000 over a couple of years to give speeches. What, she, what they were doing is they were buying her influence. It's the same thing. And there is this this different rule as it relates to if you're a conservative or if you're a Democrat. It's just totally different rules apply to you. So next what I have is I have religious books. What do I have? Religious books seized. And this, is this I want to go into depth here. I have a lot of screenshots and I thought it was really important to actually know uh, what's going on. So religious books seized and burned in China. This is an Epic Times piece written by Jocelyn Neo. In communist China, practicing a certain faith, printing or even reading religious books could result in prison terms and abuse spiritual believers in China, be it Christians, Buddhists, Uyghur Muslims, or Falun Gong practitioners, are faced not only with brutal suppression or forced labor terms, but also have their religious books burned or trashed at the hands of the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. The coercive 
uh, policies are aimed at forcing these religious followers to renounce their faith and follow the communist ideologies based on atheism and Marxism. I think this is very important as it relates to the United States of America, and I'm going to explain why. Uh, according to Bitter Winter, a magazine on religious liberty and human rights in China, a three-self-church venue is one of the villages under the jurisdiction of Lanling County. It was demolished in Jur July 2020, so this is a church a religious church that was demolished in July 2020 by the government. A county government official told the congregation that, and I quote, all churches to close to government institutions must, oh, too close to government institutions must be destroyed, and the same goes for, and I quote, those that look better than government buildings, end quote. So, so, so the government, the Chinese Communist Party is destroying any religious buildings that are near government institutions or look better than government uh, buildings. So belief in communi the Communist Party is the only religion allowed. And that's the most important part. And that is what we are currently, not, not that we're currently going through in the United States, but we've seen a... We've seen just a loss of religious principles and values. We've seen a very far away disparity from it. We've we've really lost our way as it relates to religious liberty or just religion in general. And now politics is religion. Individuals are our, our gods. We look up to whether it's celebrities or it's politicians. We look up to them for help. And we shouldn't. We should be looking to ourselves. We should be looking to God. We should be looking to even family members much more than we should be looking to the government to fix all of our problems. And the reason that the the Chinese government gets away with this and, and why they go towards religious institutions is because they want full indoctrination into the state. They want full indoctrination into the government. And they know that religion gets in the way of that. So he continues on this, uh, or she continues on this piece. She states, even the postal and courier services are being strictly monitored. In another recent report, a courier company staff member from the city of Luoyang, Henan province, told Bitter Winter that the CCP exerted strict control over mailed goods in the year of 2020. Only the mailing of government-approved books is allowed. All books with bad information, including religion, are not allowed to be dispatched. If public security authorities discover violations of these regulations, the company will be fined and closed down. <sighs> Man, so, so they're not allowing for religious religious literature to be to be decim uh, disseminated or dispatched. Uh, they're gonna they trash them and then they're gonna give violations regulations coming down from the Chinese Communist Party if you are selling that that, that uh, information. It's like a prohibition on religion, essentially. Now, the magazine reported in 2019 that the communist regime is also attempting to sinicize the Bible by forcing clergymen to interpret the teaching based on the Marxist and socialist ideologies. Um, so, Bitter, Bitter Winter's uh, three self preacher told bitter winter and i quote this is a distortion of the christian faith it is the work of the devil the situation is becoming increasingly dire the government is increasingly uh pressuring step by step in the end they want to eliminate religious belief completely 
And they're, they're, what they're doing is they're making people teach the Bible, but they're doing it, they're interpreting it in Marxist ways and socialist ideologies. This is something that, uh, that Al-Qaeda was doing. There's this thing, it's called, and I read this when I was in college because I studied extremism, uh, extremist groups, 39 Ways to Serve Jihad. And what they did was they interpreted the Quran in ways in which it can it can uh, benefit having this extremism or having this Al-Qaeda group. What they did was they interpreted it as, okay, this is what they said and this is what it means. And they interpret it meaning, oh, you need to serve jihad, you need to kill apostates, things of that nature. Uh, now, apart from banning the spiritual publications the chinese authorities spare no efforts in confiscating religious books that aren't officially approved by the chinese communist party in march last year the local authorities demolished a three self church in jining city's yatao uh county after deeming it an illegal construction officials stormed into our church before we even finished collecting our belongings a congregation member told Bitter Winter, they tore up all Bibles and images of the Lord Jesus. Chen Yu, the owner of the Christian online bookstore in Taizhou City, Zhejiang province, was sentenced to seven years and fined $200,000 or 200000 I guess it's called yen there or yuan. It's, it's approximate to 31000 US dollars for selling unapproved religious publications imported from Taiwan, the United States, and other countries, according to the October 2020 report by International Christian Concern. The authorities also plan to destroy the 12,864 Christian books from his bookstore. So you're seeing a huge persecu persecution of religious liberty. It's, it's also related to you have the Uyghurs, and then you have the Christians, and then apparently I was reading in the same exact article, Buddhism, which is actually supposed to be recognized nationally by the Chinese Chinese government they're attacking buddhists as well so really if you're a religious believer in anything you are just not accepted by the chinese government because they know that they cannot indoctrinate you because you believe in a higher a higher being and you prioritize the higher being as well as your family above the chinese communist party which i think that was also another reason why they only were allowing for a very long time one person i think it didn't actually have to do with they only allowed you to have one child i think it had actually nothing to do with um with population i think it actually had more to do with being more indoctrinated into the government if you have more kids you you prioritize and put your kids first in front of you more than the the chinese communist party and the uh the government there so very last here to conclude i have stephen crowder he sues facebook and this is an epic times piece as well written by jack phillips so it starts off and this is crowder's website uh stating coming out with their lawsuit against facebook it's a pretty big lawsuit considering steven crowder is especially in terms of a political comedy show i think actually in terms of politics he has i think the biggest subscribership he has the most viewership even more than like the daily wire shows uh ben shapiro even more than dan bongino he's he's the biggest one out there right now especially podcasting he doesn't really do a podcast he does a show but you can listen to the audio version which i usually listen to i have a subscription myself to his show i watch it i mean it's pretty hilarious i've always liked crowder so he always seems like a pretty stand-up guy and a, and a conservative uh comedian so he is so this this uh crowder's website states and i quote the key remedy is injunctive relief 
stop unfair deceptive acts we're also seeking seven figure monetary damages the goal here is forcing honesty and clarity in policy application and enforcement according to crowder's website and he goes on our broader point is that we are pro-business but anti-fraud facebook lured consumers and creators to spend money and provide data and views under the promise of not engaging in political racial or religious bias and enforcing their policies but they have done so both expressly and secretively and hence the suit end quote and, and this also goes off on youtube in the youtube clip crowder said that his november 3rd election live stream was allegedly cut off in the midst of his coverage crowder said he was never provided a reason for why the stream was purportedly uh taken down and to begin with he had the biggest this was the biggest live stream of the election currently going on he had the most viewership in the entire nation probably the entire world as well so he has actually a lot of pull surprisingly he's not really covered that much in the mainstream media but he has a lot of viewership he has a lot of fans out there and uh he's just he's it's pretty much suing for anti-fraud antitrust what's going on is facebook is is claiming deceptively that they are not they are not discriminating against him for his conservative views and then he he has some high-tech wizards in there that are figuring it out that they actually are throttling his material and suppressing some of his things as they're stating they aren't so that's why they're going ahead with the suit and i'm hoping me personally i'm hoping that everyone jumps on with this i'm hoping that we see a class action suit coming from other conservatives out there such as daily wire guys as well or uh dan bongino because i know that they're going after him consistently all the time so just to finish up here i have a couple headlines i'm going to go through and this is the news aggregating part where i kind of go through a quick headline and then i give you a little summary short summary of what's actually going on so pelosi's husband invested one million in tesla a week before biden biden's elect electrical vehicle announcement so th this is just the news piece i'll have it all in the show notes once again her her husband's always been known for investing on inside deals that are going in in congress what she does is she's always been part of these congressional committees that have to do with that have to do with the economy and then in turn what she does is she takes that information she tells her husband and then oh suddenly look her husband I, I mean she's worth something like 200 million dollars and it's because her husband's an investor and he pretty much invests on the information that she gets and this has kind of been a known fact especially from conservatives know this liberals you guys probably really don't you probably don't know this just because the media doesn't really cover it so he invested in tesla and tesla exploded uh, a week later when biden said that the federal vehicles are all going to be moving over to electric so biden also additionally he has 42 executive orders as of this point i think maybe yesterday is when i found it it's a cnn article it gives you each executive order and then it kind of plays partisan politics talking about how great and playing up each executive order uh so justice department probes elon musk about discrimination complaint epic times piece this one's hilarious because it seems like as soon first off the story is i think elon musk was asking questions about people being u.s citizens in his hiring processes and they considered that as uh as discrimination 
which I think is kind of weird. Wouldn't you, if you want to hire people legally, wouldn't you hope that they're legal citizens? So, so wouldn't you ask that question? That's the first thing. I think this is a cover up. I think the reason they're doing this is because Elon went after the hedge funds after the hedge funders got screwed on all their money on GameStop, and now you suddenly see right after Elizabeth Warren is saying, "Oh, well, we need to regulate them, and we need to," and and the same thing with the, the Biden administration seems like they really don't care about it, and then they're going ahead with talking about regulations and regulating the retail buyer, such as myself or just normal working class people now can't buy can't buy GameStop stock so what they actually did these last couple time days on Robinhood is they they limited the amount of shares that you were allowed to buy of GameStop naturally or, or artificially rather deflating the currency of uh or deflating the stock to lower it down to a price to help their buddies in the hedge funds so that's actually what happened. And then when they're questioned, when Elon Musk comes out and questions it, now suddenly the DOJ, the Justice Department of the, of the government, is now is now investigating him on dis, uh, on a discrimination complaint, which is just, you know, oh, wow, I guess, I guess it's just some sort of, oh, that's convenient. I don't know how that happened. Uh, next, Maxine Waters' daughter received $1.1 million from campaigns. BuckSexton.com, he covered this pretty extensively. Their story is essentially that over these last couple of years, uh, she has her daughter in some sort of campaigns position and she just pays her out huge sums. And this is like I said, you can, they were always kind of laundering their own campaign finances through some sort of way. Ilhan Omar was paying her boyfriend and I think now it's her husband for, uh, what do they call it? political advice or something of that nature. Uh, they call it like a political advice and and she'll pay him out for that. And now what she's doing with her daughter, Maxine Waters, is she's paying out $1.1 million over the last couple of years, helping her with campaign stuff. It's it's just her way to take campaign funds, give it to her daughter, and then maybe get some sort of a cut and launder the money, allegedly. So Biden responds to a military coup, uh, coup in Burma, and he said, we will take action, apparently. That's a Daily Wire piece. So hopefully there won't be any war soon. Uh, we'll see what ends up happening on that. So that'll, that'll be it. That'll conclude this one. I greatly appreciate everyone for tuning in. Uh, I'm coming out with this a little early, a day early, and then I'm going to cut some pieces into shorter clips because it seems like I get more viewership on the shorter clips. People don't want to sit there and listen to me ramble on for an hour and a half, which I don't blame them. But uh, it seems like I'm getting more viewership and listenership on... Um, on the podcast platforms, which is a good thing. I greatly appreciate you all for tuning in. Just remember to like, share, subscribe. As always, I am still restricted from promoting this podcast on any social media site. So essentially everything that I've done here has been 100% uh, with the exception of maybe $2 worth of advertising that I got on Facebook before I got shut down. It has been 100% organic. So word of mouth is what gets this podcast advertised so please drop the mic on people as in my name mike let people know about the podcast and i will see you all next time